Some of you maybe struggle with patience. I don't know. There are many of you that do. Um, I do. Uh, there are many things that I can be very impatient about. Like sometimes it's in the car. Sometimes it's just with circumstances that I face. Sometimes it's like uh, I think you know somebody's standing in my way of getting something I want done done. And so there's a lot of reasons why I can be very uh, impatient, and I struggle with the Lord's timing. If I was to like walk through my life and think about the times that I thought like, Lord, what are you doing? Why have you forgotten me? Like, why does this take so long? What, what is going on? I mean, it would be, there would be a book of quotes that ran through my head of not understanding why. Why is it so slow? Why do things not seem to turn out when I think? Why does it seem that the Lord doesn't hurry? Why is he not on my time schedule? You know, that's just uh, kind of that struggle. And uh, I see with my, for instance, with my boys, their earthly father, uh, there are a lot of things that they want done, and they want it done now, you know, and they don't understand, like, why do we have to wait? Let's get going, move, you know. Uh, I know you can fix this, like, let's go, you know, but how much more I think we struggle with that with our Heavenly Father, we know He can deal with things, and yet we have to wait. I think one of the things, too, that I've been around kind of, I guess you could say, certain types of church people, you know, that um, try to strong-arm Jesus, you know, they, they think they almost have a right to strong-arm Jesus in a way, but it's like, due to your massive limitations... Do you really want that? Like, if you had the choice to make his time your time, you know, or your time his time, is that what you would really, really want? I mean, are you that arrogant that you would think that your timing, the way that you would orchestrate the world, would be better? You know, I have to ask myself that question regularly because we understand that his power is unlimited. And so he is not limited by the timeliness of his response to us. The only reason that he may not respond to us is because he is all wise and he knows exactly what he is doing. He is wise and he's good. And so his timing is perfect. This study today is going to be dealing with Jesus' timing and his exercise of his authority over sickness and death in his time. And so that's kind of what you will see, and hopefully you understand that. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. Aren't we glad? Everybody would, yes. You know, if you look back over your life, you got everything you wanted when you wanted it, you know. Uh, did you ever listen to the song, uh, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers by Garth Brooks. Maybe y'all don't listen to country music, you know. But there is that song there where he's saying, like, looking back, twenty years later, I'm glad that God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want Him to in the time that I want Him to. You know, that's kind of the thing that goes on. Some of us are so rushed because we're afraid of what might happen if we lose control of a situation. Jesus doesn't have that fear. Why? 
Because he's always in control of the situation. It's his world. He has everything. He owns everything. It's his. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 said, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing. Now listen, you ready? You who do not believe that Christ reigns over everything, even your daily life. And he does according to his will. Among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? What does he reign over? Heaven and earth. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that, so do we. Hopefully, we get to learn it before we're like eating grass in a field, like the beast. Our focus today will be on the timing of Jesus. We'll look at his delays, the lessons he teaches us, and then we'll just see him act. And so, in 521 through 24, as you get started here, this synagogue official asked Jesus to help his dying daughter. So here we meet Jairus. He was devoted to God. He's probably wealthy. He's definitely prominent. He's a, a synagogue official. He comes to Jesus because his daughter is about to die. She's at the point of death. It appears that he's looking for him when he runs up to him and finds him. There was nowhere else to go. He's he's in total need. This man knows that his daughter's about to die. And you can imagine, like, how afraid would you be? I mean, I know when my kids have been hurt, how, like, I could, or I think, oh, no, is he really hurt? You know, you could race along, you know, and, and but if you're thinking she she's about to die, I mean, he is sweating, he's racing, it's the worst time that he probably has ever experienced in his life. There's nothing that would be more difficult for him to think about than his daughter is about to die. So he is fearful, and he is running to find Jesus, and he comes to find him, and so they begin to move towards the place where the daughter is. I can imagine if I were there that like I could see Jairus like leading the way. It's his house that they're going to and pushing the crowds out of the way. The disciples feel the stress of the moment too. This was not only a powerful man, but this is an insanely difficult situation. And you can imagine that he is like... Um, or they are like pushing him out of the way, almost like the secret service. People are getting roughed up along the way as they're pushing through the crowd saying, get out of the way. This is a, a, an intense moment. This is something that like, we've got to get to this girl. She's going to die. That's kind of where the story, the setting of the story. And then Mark takes a break. But it's not because Mark wants to throw in some random 
story because he's like not focused, you know. He takes a break because there is a break in the story. There's a pause, something you don't expect to happen. You're thinking like, let's go save the girl. Everybody wants the girl to be saved. She is in a desperate condition. But as they're going along, look in verse 25 through 34, there's this woman who has been sick for 12 years with a discharge of blood. She has went to physicians to heal her. She spent a lot of time with them. So much so that it has made her poor. She has spent all of her money trying to get well. That's the condition that she finds herself in. And her condition is not getting better. It grew worse, even though she had spent all of her money with physicians. And so she is sitting there trying to think, or she is thinking about what Jesus could do. How he could, he's, he's been healing people. People knew that. And she thought, like, I don't really need to speak to him. I just want to touch his garment. And so... She gets as close as she can. She grabs his garment. She touches it. And when she, she touched it, she felt, oh, I've been made well, like immediately, as Mark would do regularly and say. But look at verse 30. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? It, it, there's this kind of like moment where you're thinking like, who cares? Who cares? Like, does it really matter? Why is Jesus kind of like seemingly ADD in this moment? Why is he worried about it? Is he OCD? Does he not like people to touch his garments? Like, what? This is, we have a real situation here. Why would he do that? Why does he stop and ask about it? You could imagine Jairus thinking, like, what in the world? Why are you doing this? I mean, my daughter is dying. And I mean, some of you, maybe you're like, uh, I don't know, uh, people that would, would have a tendency maybe not to be quiet in that moment, uh, would be turning around saying, what are you doing? You know, what, what's going on? And the disciples are struggling. They're like, how would you ever find that out anyway? We've got to go. So this woman who has a chronic problem is different than this little girl who you would say has an acute problem. That, that's, that's kind of what's on, going on here. And it seems like in the moment, if you, were, if you just said Jesus is the great physician, he's a great doctor. As a, let's say, an ER doctor, he would treat the girl first. And then tell the lady, hey, I know you kind of grabbed the hem of my garment, but come back later. Next week. Next Tuesday, I'll meet with you. We'll talk about this, right? Hmm. So there's this awkward pause and this delay. Don't you hate delays? I mean, do you ever just, they just, you hate delays. You hate delays when your children aren't doing well. You hate delays when you want God to work in your marriage you hate delays when somebody's sick and you think couldn't you just heal them you just 
don't like a delay. Verse 35 and 36, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Now in the midst of this, he hears the worst news that he could possibly hear. Jairus does. And they say to him, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Just leave him alone. It's over. He's not going to preside over the funeral. Let him go do work among the living. She's dead. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. In a way, you could say, you could say, Be like this lady who trusted me. Even though I don't know that her faith is like this robust faith in the moment, I think it's going to grow as the story unfolds. But I do think it's important. Just say, He just looks at him and says, Do not fear, only believe. This is believing against all odds. This is a call to faith when, you know, it's just like, you know, there are a lot of people in life that basically give up on everything. This would be one of those times where you say, of course, this is a time to say, hey, this trust thing is too much. And so you're sitting there kind of wondering what's going to happen. This story, though, tells us that we can trust Jesus even with time. That's, that's kind of one of the things that stands out to you. God's working in our life is not tied to our schedule, but His, and we can trust Him with it. Some of you may have traveled to other parts of the world ooh, on a mission trip sometimes. Um, I've been to places where I thought uh, we scheduled to meet at a certain time, you know, and you're looking at your watch going like, do these people know that, like, there are watches in the world? They're not that expensive, you know? Or maybe they have a phone and be like, do y'all not have clocks on your phones here? You know, it's time, time. It ma- you know, it matters, you know. And so in this moment, when you're looking at something like this, you think, you know what? God's timing never comes when I want it. And when Jesus looks at him, he says, trust me. But you could say almost like, is he also looking at you? Is he looking at you? Do you think Jesus is looking at you too and saying, trust me? Has he changed the fact that he works in this kind of way? Is he saying to us the same? One author said, chapter 4, you see that his grace and love is compatible with storms. And here, in chapter, the end of 4, and you know, as, you, as you're, I'm sorry, in chapter 5, I can't spit it out here. In chapter 5, we're sitting here and you're saying like, do you know that his grace and love are compatible with delays? Like, that's kind of the delay thing always makes you start thinking the Lord has forgotten him. If you've been with us for a while, you've studied the Psalms and you think, oh my goodness, David's whole life was one delay. And one moment after another saying, oh God, you forgot me, you left me, you don't love me. You know? And so all this is going on. 
Jesus is not going to be hurried. We think in the moment, even as we read it, if we were honest and we were able to pause and stop and think, wow, what a time to delay. So what do these delays kind of, you could say, teach us? What, what do they teach us? One is, I think you could say, when you're in a delay and you're experiencing that, um, with Jesus in this story, he's, both of these people are going to have to give more than they thought. You know, they're going to have to be at this place where it's going to be more costly than they thought. That, those are, these are kind of the lessons you could learn from it. But it is going to be more costly, and yet they're going to get more than what they thought. So just think about that, because we're not looking at the text like we normally would in the same exact way. But I think you just have to say, look, there's this massive delay. There has been this one delay with this woman for 12 years. But then there's this delay with this child. And in all of that, you're saying, it's when Jesus is doing his work, he's doing more than just what you wanted him to do. That, that's kind of the idea here. He's going to do more than what he wanted, but it's going to cost you more but he's going to give more and so you kind of have to get that in your mind things never work out exactly how you thought so with Jairus he came for a fever cure and he ended up with a resurrection is that better is that is that better that little pause that waiting um Jesus asked more of the woman too she wanted to like believe enough to touch the hem of his garment, and then slide back into the shadows. Was that better for her? It costs her more. Jesus exposes her, but she's going to get more. So I want you to look at that just for a moment, because again, we're going to kind of work through this text, but then I'm going to just highlight a few things. So you're just looking at that principle. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and those who had suffered, uh, she had suffered much. You remember? So that's in verse 26. So we understand that she was a person that would have been ceremonially unclean. She would have looked at, been looked at as cursed. She would have been called upon to stay away from others, especially a rabbi of Jesus' uh, situation. She had lived 12 years in isolation as unclean, 12 years separated from worship, 12 years of just total alienation. So why bring it public? She's already been an outcast her whole, I mean, like maybe perhaps her whole adult life. Why would you bring that to the fore? Is that even loving? She just wanted to be healed. But whatever her view of was of Jesus' power, she thought that touching him would heal her. He stops her in verse 34 and says, your faith has healed you. He's working something in her. He's showing her something greater about himself and about the way in which things are activated, I guess you could say. She, she didn't understand like it's trusting the Messiah. It's, it's putting your hope and trust in him. Not, not everyone that brushed up against him was healed that day of everything. She trusted him, which speaks to us, which is really important for us to see. But I think the other thing was that Jesus was not just interested in giving her bodily healing. He wanted to make her a disciple for all of the rest of her life. 
He was calling her to something greater. There's an interesting thing here. You remember Jairus' daughter? What does Jesus call her? Look at, look at the text. Does, does it tell us? What is he going to speak and say to her? He's going to speak to her in that way. It's almost as if you're saying to Jesus, or Jesus is saying to her, hey, daughter. It's, it's like he stops for his daughter while Jairus' daughter has to wait a minute. He's going to bring her, you could say, into the family. He's going to speak to her as one of his own. He's going to call her to himself in a special way. You remember what he said, those who do the will of my father, these are my brothers and sisters and mothers and daughters and all of that kind of stuff. Why did he say that? Because what he's saying is, is those who put their trust in him, those are the ones that are part of my family. And he wants to make that clear. He stops everything. And he says, who's done this? And she has to kind of fall down before him. And he speaks to her and he gives her a hope, not just of like you could say, like a, a present, oh, you're, you're healed, but also like he's calling her and speaking to her as one who is in her family. She got more than what she wanted. She got a blessing, an eternal blessing. And amazing, immeasurable mercies are shown to her. She could be singing today. The, the, the message of like when we've been there 10,000 years, she says, when I've been there 2,000 years. It, it's no less, you know. There's no less desire to sing God's praise. To experience like being called by Him and called to Him and being set free from the shame and the guilt and brought into the family and being called a daughter. Another thing you see, just trying to think about this, these passages and looking it over, you think there, there's something interesting here about the kind of people Jesus associates with. You may um, not like that Jesus loves people in bad places. You may not like that. You want Jesus to save good people. Most of the time, good people don't think they need to be saved. Do you know that? People are really good in their own eyes. But the interesting thing is this synagogue ruler, you would say, who should, because of his social standing, get the most. He pauses, and you see here that with this synagogue ruler, you know, he has to wait while this outsider, this unclean woman is addressed. He was the wealthy one. She was poor. He was powerful. She was uh, not and you see over and over with Jesus the way in which he draws people to himself. And I think that's important just to say that there's kind of a reversal of values. You think, well, he really does love all types of people. He's not just with the people that you think he would be. Not with just what the culture would be. Where the disciples might turn and say, do you know who this guy is? I mean, some of you right now look at your own status and you say, like, when I walk into a room or I tell you my title, do you know who I am? I have this great title. I'm this great person. I have social standing. I have whatever. I built up social capital. I have money. You know? And with Jesus, that's not the thing. 
that moves him. It's not what just moves him. Jesus is occupied with reversing those values that we might hold dear in this world. Scripture says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God has chosen the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no one boasts before God. It's backwards. His work is backwards, and His timing doesn't fit our timing. Third thing, if God is delaying His response to you, just thinking about this, there must be something critical that you do not know about. Like some piece of information that you don't understand. And we, I mean, faith is getting to the place where you believe that. You trust Him. There's things that you don't understand. There's things that you don't grasp. And you don't really, you've got to be humble enough to trust Him in that. To believe Him. Um, if you're sitting there like Jairus, you're thinking, is it really wise to let my girl die? But he didn't understand. Jesus had this young girl that he had to address and bring out of the shadows and call to himself. And he had things going on there. He was demonstrating. He had a daughter that he needed to address. And Jairus didn't understand that. There was a greater need, and a greater need than just the physical. And Jesus didn't need to move quickly. He has the power not to move quickly. And so, there's an opportunity to turn this lady into a lifelong disciple and to demonstrate that he has power not only over sickness, but over death. He had a big thing that he was displaying for us. And so we have to understand there's these massive factors that go in that Jesus has to do things to help us see, to understand, to grasp. And I think it's, for us it's really helpful to see that. I think we need to stop and consider, like because there are times where we don't understand why he delays things. But what you do is in his delay, you have to ask yourself this. Is he powerful? And is he good? And if you answer the question that he's all-powerful and he's good, then you should not be, and I should not be afraid of his delays. Because his timing is perfect. And he is working out his plan in a perfect way. So we're going to look here. Not only has he done this work of delivering this woman, but I just want you to see, because the story started with this little girl. And so let's look at that. Verse 35 in 36, we just found out that the daughter is dead. And as you get to verse 37 through 41, Peter and James and John, Peter and James and John, the brother of James, sorry, those three you have here, um, they are going to go with him. And then these others are going to be there, of course, that are a part of the whole situation, the commotion that's there. There are people already weeping and wailing loudly. There are people doing that. Uh, some people were paid to do that back then. And so they're all crying. The child is, you know, like they're, in their minds, the child is dead. Everybody believes that. Everyone knows that. And Jesus said, no, she's sleeping. And they're all laughing. They're like, you don't understand. We know she's dead. 
Like there's, you can tell when somebody has died, she's dead. And he said, oh no, she's sleeping. And so Jesus walks in. And what does he do? He takes her by the hand, look at verse 41. And he says to her, this, our text says little girl. Uh, a couple of people I read that he, he might be, he's speaking in such a gentle way, like sweetheart or like honey, like get up. He grabs her hand. And he lifts her up. And you see, I mean, or, or like and speaks to her to come to step up, you know, is kind of the idea. You see his power. It's one of those things where you're saying, you know, there's a lot of things where you're like, man, the calm and the storm, that's easy for me, like in a way to say, oh, I could see that. Uh, the raising from the dead seems to be like the greatest power, like greatest display of power that I could ever imagine. The raising one from the dead. It is the, I think, the highest thing because that's what we say when we talk about sin. We say sin brings death. And Jesus here is bringing life, bringing someone from death to life. You also see his love. He's like the perfect picture of what it means to love and care for one. He is going to show his ultimate love by really kind of like turning away from all that he knows. He's going to embrace the cross, experience the shame, the death, the sin that comes upon him, all of those things. And he is going to rescue us so that we can with confidence know that he raises from the dead, that we have a future and a hope. Look at verse 42 and 43. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them, give her something to eat, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, in the midst of all that stuff, like she, he's like, look, go, she's, she needs nourishment. He's caring for her. And so we see his power and his love on display, and he rescues this little girl in his time. So this is what we say. I think what you walk away from today and you say is, Jesus' timing is perfect. Sickness and death that are consequences of the fall do not control him. You and I are very limited in the ability to address sickness and certainly not death. But he has the power over both things. Jesus comes to restore everything that has been destroyed by the fall and he does it in his perfect time. He is going to demonstrate that in his first coming in a very powerful way and he's going to to, to address it completely at a second coming. Revelation 6, 10, and 11 says about the saints who are before the throne, they cried out with a loud voice saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Jesus' plans are perfect. His timing's perfect. His timing is perfect in your life. He is all-powerful. He has proven that when He showed up here on this earth. He is able to deliver. He is good. And yet, He doesn't work on our timetable. And we can rest in that. Jesus came to destroy all of the darkness and the evil and the sin. And you say, the cross everybody was waiting for, and now the second coming we're waiting for. And as we live between those two times, we hold fast to that message. He is all-powerful. He is good. We can trust Him, and He doesn't work on our timetable.
you know? And that's something we have to remind ourselves of and encourage one another in. And even though our faith is flawed often, we just keep saying, like, the object of our faith is Christ, and we trust in him and trust in him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our hope in this life, in this age. Our hope that Christ will never leave us or forsake us. Our hope that we will never be snatched out of his hand. Our hope that he has gripped our hand and he has promised us he will never leave us. We know that one day he will return, that he will raise us, and we can trust with complete hope and and security that while we wait, whether we are dead and sleeping in his presence or we are living when he returns, that he will restore all of us, both body and soul, and we can trust in that. And we just pray that you would give us faith in the moments where we don't really know what to do in this life and that we would just hold fast to him. In Jesus' name, amen.